Hey everyone, welcome to Pod Academy. My name's Craig Barfoot. Today I'm talking to former Harvard and MIT physicist Alan Lightman, whose collection of essays have been published in a delightful book which touches on many of the big questions of physics in an accessible and thought-stimulating way. Alan Lightman, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Craig. Alan, I have to begin by asking you a question that uh, I, I guess I just can't quite get my head around, which is when I'm thinking about the Big Bang, uh, should I be thinking of it as an explosion, for, like an explosion for like a bomb from, from a central point that the universe is kind of shooting out in all directions? No, you, you should not think of it that way because when you, when you have that image in your mind, which is like all explosions that you've ever seen, uh, you imagine a point at the mi- in the middle where the explosion is taking place and then you imagine space around it that the bomb is exploding into. And that image doesn't work for the universe as a whole because there was no outside space. The universe was all of the space and time that existed. In fact, the universe created time and space when it began expanding. So the way that you should think of the explosion is that if you were, if you and your friend were sitting at two different points of the tiny, tiny universe at the beginning, the distance between the two of you would increase. And that's the sense in which the universe uh, is expanding and did expand at the beginning, but it's uh, erroneous to think of there being a a space surrounding the universe. Can you uh, explain the multiverse theory and and what it is about this theory that you find so compelling? Well, the multiverse theory is the, the idea that there may exist many other universes in addition to our universe, and that these other universes have very different properties than our universe. Um, Some of them might have 17 dimensions of space. Some of them might have planets and stars like our universe, but others might uh, have no planets and stars. It might just be a diffuse cloud of energy. Uh, Some of them might have conditions that allow the emergence of life, and some of them may not have life at all. We have sort of been forced to invoke the the possibility of the multiverse for two different reasons. Uh, for w- one reason, there's, there's some modern theories in physics that actually predict the existence of these other universes, even though we have no evidence that they exist, they're predicted. And the other reason why we believe that they might exist is because the conditions in our universe, the, the parameters of our universe, the rate of expansion, the strength of the, the forces that hold atoms together and so on, appear to be very finely tuned to allow the emergence of life. That is, if those parameters and forces were a little bit larger than they are or a little bit smaller than they are, then life could never have emerged in our universe. And this seems to be too much of a happy coincidence. If you are a religiously inclined person, you can say, well, God made the universe and God wanted there to be life in the universe, so God fiddled these parameters to be the right values to allow the the emergence of life. If you're not theologically inclined, you invoke the multiverse hypothesis. How how accepted is this hypothesis at at the moment? I would say that it's probably accepted by about half 
of, of physicists and astronomers. Um, On the other half, what, what do they? The other half think that uh, there's some other explanation that we don't understand yet for this fine-tuning of parameters in our universe. And of course, there are uh, a certain fraction of, of scientists who are religious. I think 20, roughly 25% of scientists believe in God and roughly 5% of scientists believe in an intervening God that, that actually can perform miracles. Of course, in the general public, those, those numbers are much, much higher. Many scientists and a lot of, of, of Nobel Prize winning physicists grudgingly accept the multiverse hypothesis. And I, I would say that they accept it reluctantly because there's no other good explanation for why our universe seems so fine-tuned to allow the emergence of life. Just so, just again to help my understanding um, with this idea of a multiverse theory. Uh, so, before you said that there was nothing outside of the universe, that it's just the universe, and then there's time and space was created from the universe. So, yes. is that where are I know, the I know what you're? Yeah, where, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. So, where are they? So, so time and space does not exist between these between the, the different universes of the multiverse. We we cannot picture them is like different grains of sand on a beach um, that have some proximity to each other. Since each of those universes and the multiverse creates time and space within it, there's no time and space between the different universes. So we cannot say how far apart they are either in time or in space. Okay, so we don't, we don't know where they are or how they would connect. We don't know where they are. Okay. We don't know where they, in fact, it doesn't even, the, the word where doesn't even make sense because the word where uh, has underlying a concept of space. And if space doesn't exist, uh, then the word where doesn't even make any sense. So space and time do not exist between the different universes of the multiverse. Um, it's very, very hard to picture this. It is, yes. Um, but, you know, physicists and mathematicians for, for, for a century or more have been dealing with things that are very hard to picture. It's very hard to picture the subatomic world where uh, developments in quantum physics have shown us that subatomic particles can be in two places at the same time. That is very, very hard for us to picture because we have no experience of that in our daily life. But if you were a subatomic particle reality would appear very different to you. Uh, everything would be a haze, uh, a haze of probability. So physicists for at least 100 years have, have grown accustomed to dealing with concepts that come out of our mathematics and seem to be completely self-consistent and, in fact, even necessary to explain phenomena in our universe but concepts that we simply cannot picture, that do not make any connection to our intuitive sense of the world. So the multiverse concept is another concept like that. One of the, one of the things I enjoyed about your book was uh, your discussion of the, of the relationship between science and religion and your argument that, um, well, that science is also based on beliefs. Yes. Well, we were just speaking of one of them a moment ago, the multiverse. Um, by definition, uh, the different universes and a multiverse are completely out of contact with each other because no space and time exists between them. There's no way for them to communicate with each other. And so there's no way that we can prove 
the existence of these other universes by any physical experiment we can do. So we have to believe in them as a matter of faith. I guess one of the, the, or the, the, the thing you spoke about in your book that I really quite found interesting is the idea that the belief in science, that science is leading towards a, a complete and final set of laws governing all physical phenomenon. Uh, I found that very interesting, that sort of the underpinning uh, idea of science is, is, is still a belief. Yes. The, the fundamental raison d'etre of science is, is the belief that all phenomena in the physical universe um, obey certain laws, certain mathematical and rational and logical laws, and that we human beings are capable of finding those laws. We, we certainly don't know all the laws now. We've made tremendous progress since Galileo, uh, and yet we, we believe those laws exist and are ultimately findable by, by human beings. So that's a very potent belief that science has. What do you mean uh, in your book when you say that it's sometimes useful just to distinguish between a physical universe and a spiritual universe? Well, by the physical universe, I mean the material universe. Everything that, that we can touch or feel or sense with our instruments, uh, the physical universe, every phenomenon and object in the physical universe obeys certain laws of nature. By the spiritual universe, I mean something more subtle. I do, it does, the spiritual universe does not necessarily include a belief in God, as God is usually understood, but it believes, it holds that there are things larger than ourselves. Uh, there are things that outside of ourselves, there are things that are ultimately indescribable by science or the methods of science. Um, yeah, like in, in your book, you say that the uh, questions like, uh, what is the nature of love? They, they lie outside uh, this. this. It's, it's, yes, it's a question that doesn't have a, a definite answer. Um, Why doesn't it have a definite answer? Um, well, I think it doesn't have a definite answer because it's ultimately a, a highly personal experience. Well, let's take the, the, the romantic attraction between two people. You could... You could measure the, the physiological, biochemical changes in a person's brain or in their bloodstream when they were turned on by another person. But that would not convey the, the sensation, the mental sensation. You know, you could, you could show how the electrical activity between neurons increased in the calcium and sodium gates of the neurons changed, but it would not convey the feeling that lies in our consciousness. In fact, consciousness itself is something that is probably very, very difficult to, to quantify. Uh, I think many personal experiences and the religious experience, the transcendent religious experience is one of them. I think that they are, they are ultimately not reducible to a set of equations or a logical explanation. Alan, as you said before, there's uh, you believe that science is uh, leading towards a complete and final set of laws that, that govern all physical phenomena. And in your 
book, you also say that our minds, uh, to quote your book, you say, our minds are made up of all the same atoms and molecules as everything else in nature, that the architecture of our brains was born from the same energy principles, the same pure mathematics that happen in flowers and, and jellyfish and Higgs particles. So our brains are a part of the universe. And if you believe that science is, is leading towards this, this final set of laws that govern everything in the universe, then doesn't that mean that questions like what is love? It, yeah, there's a contradiction there, isn't there? Yes, there is. Yeah. Well, it's it's the contradiction of existence. You know, we we all have this powerful sense that we are separate, unique beings that that we have a specialness. Um, but as a scientist, as a scientist uh, with this idea that we are slowly discovering everything, that there is actually a law under, a discoverable law under under everything, including the atoms in our brain and everything, shouldn't that lead to the idea, although maybe not a nice idea, but an idea that everything is is based on a law, that even love and these religious feelings and everything else is are based on perceivable laws? Yeah, it, it does. I agree with you. I, I don't particularly what would I I'm I quite like my ego and my idea that I'm I'm not just a base of uh, laws. But uh, re- reading your book and seeing the, these arguments really made me start to question. Yeah. Well, we have we have feelings and sensations that we feel are not quantifiable or not reducible to equations and laws to just material atoms and molecules. And yet our science tells us that we are physical objects, you know, even though we don't like to think of ourselves that way. To me, it's, it's the, the bafflement and the mystery of existence. It's very, very hard on a personal level to deal with our mortality. There's a line in your book, Science is the Religion of the 21st Century. Um, I don't think it was your quote, but you, you used it in your book. Uh, what, yeah. what do you think of that, that line? Uh, it was actually a playwright uh, named Alan Brody who said that our lives are, are regulated. And when I say our li- lives, I don't just mean our physical lives, but our, our social lives are regulated more and more by science and technology. And, of course, we, we all trust in science and technology. And anybody who's gotten up and gone in an airplane and gets in this 100-ton thing of metal and steel and, and wires and goes up in the air 10,000 feet, they're putting their life in the hands of, of physics. They're trusting in the laws of physics to keep that thing aloft. So we are either conscious or unconsciously, we're, we're believing in science. But I think that that science is not completely the religion of the 21st century because uh, there still is traditional religion. I think if you if you did a survey of people in most countries, you would find that at least uh, 75 or 80 percent believe in the existence of God, the existence of an afterlife and, and so on. So there still is traditional religious belief in our society. Um, I think that religion and science are always going to be around, but science and technology have just become more and more important in modern life. 
Alan Leidman, I do want to say that reading your book was a real delight and anyone who was uh, interested in a, an introductory book to, to physics, it was a really lovely read. And thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, thank you, Craig. Alan Leidman is the author of the new book, The Accidental Universe, The World You Thought You Knew. And you've been listening to both Alan and myself, Craig, and to a Pod Academy podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>